Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. Good morning. Andrew was just trying to protect you from hearing my singing, so uh, that's a good thing for you. Do me a favor, get your Bibles out, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 and 15, and uh, we are continuing in a series, man, and I love that bumper video. I feel like we should be showing Infinity Wars right now. Um, That's how cool that video is, but um, we want you to stand in Christ. We want you to be prepared for spiritual battle. And, uh, and so that's why we're doing this series. A lot of Christians run through life unprepared and, and not ready. And so this morning we get into the specifics of the armor of God that Paul has given us to equip us for spiritual battle. And uh, I remember, uh, I'm going to let you in on a little pastoral secret. Like, what, it, what is it that really makes a pastor scared? What makes a pastor nervous? I, my wife and I, when, we were, when I was in seminary, we were part of a church plant in Orlando. And uh, my pastor there, he did what every church pastor fears he might do. Uh, he preached a sermon with his fly open. And, uh, and I know this gets awkward and uncomfortable, but that's what he did. And so, and it was a small church. And so, you know, the seating was intimate and close. And, and it was obvious to all of us, right? And so, uh, one of the members of the church held up a big sign that said, XYZ, examine your zipper, right? And he didn't get the hint. And, uh, and this went on for a while. And I, will never remember what he preached that day because none of us could remember it. And finally, um, a guest in the church uh, went up and whispered it in his ear, you know. Somebody who was attending for the first time whispered in his ear, and uh, he turned himself around, got himself fixed up, and came back and finished the sermon. You know, good on him. I don't know how you finish after that. I think I ought to close with prayer. Um, So I don't know how you finish, but that's what he did. And uh, I know y'all are wondering the same thing about me. Yes, it's all, we're good. All right, I checked. You don't use that illustration and don't examine your zipper, okay? So, um, so that's that. This is really awkward. Anyway, the point is um, he wasn't prepared in his preaching. That was the point I wanted to make out of that. And so he wasn't prepared. And so, you know, we go into spiritual warfare sometimes unprepared. And so today we want to now begin to get into the specifics of the armor that prepare us for spiritual things and for spiritual battle. And uh, we started the series with, you know, the armor is Christ. So if you're here this morning, you're not in Christ. You're not yet a believer. You're, you're really dead to spiritual things. You're not even uh, spiritually alive yet. The Bible says we're dead in our sins apart from Christ. And, and so I want to encourage you, man. I really encourage you to go back and listen to message number one of this series online and, and, and really just hear the gospel and our standing is in Christ. And, and, and um, 
And then last week, you know, Pastor Joey and I, I did Gloucester, he did here, you know, prepared us for spiritual warfare. And, and uh, the, so this morning, now I want to get into the specifics. And I want you, there's a common theme. We hit it on a little bit last week. I want to bring it back to your attention. It's the word stand, right? Ephesians 6, 14. Uh, this is this theme that kind of threads its way through this text. Stand therefore, Paul says. And I think the idea is, once again, we're reminded it's, it's not peacetime. Uh, we're at war, and it's spiritual war, and our wrestle is, is not against flesh and blood, but it's for the hearts and the, and the souls and the minds of people around us. It's for your heart and your soul and, and your mind. It's for your family. Parents, let me encourage you, challenge you with this. Listen, it's no small thing to raise your children in the Lord in this culture. We have enemies to our faith. The world wants to influence them, their own sin nature, and the devil himself, and his hordes. Listen, our enemies hate the things of God. This is not like mild, like, you know, no big deal. Like, our enemies want to steal our children from the things of God. And your neighbors, your loved ones... We're, this is not peacetime, and I think too often we live like it's peacetime, and I know I can do that. I live like it's peacetime, and, and I want to remind us it's not peacetime, and I want to remind us that it's wartime, and, and the goal is not retirement or vacation. The goal is not safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. That's heaven, by the way, and we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever in peacetime, given to us by God in Christ, and, and, and man, I can't wait for peacetime, but in this brief time that we live our lives, which the Bible calls a vapor. Or, you know, it, it's wartime, and we need to stand, and we need to be ready. We need to be intentional. We have our eyes open. We need to put on the armor. We need to be in Christ and in His armor on a daily basis. We use the words like intentional and discipline, and those are the things of war. Those are the things of wartime. And I want you to be prepared. I want you to have the mindset of being at war. Listen, some of you, like you're, you're, and I am too, like you're geared up for your summer vacation. Man, I can't wait to go on vacation. Listen, when you go on vacation, you're not on spiritual vacation. And vacation's important. I think it's, there's the Sabbath principle in vacationing that refreshes your souls. All that's good and, you know, good. But I want to encourage you, like maybe you're going on vacation this summer with some extended family that don't know Christ. And so while you're on that vacation and you're relaxing and you're away from your, your routine of work, I mean, look for the opportunity. In fact, I would encourage you, make the opportunity to share the gospel with people that you know and love that don't know Christ. Man, if, if that intersects with some lost loved ones, what a great opportunity. Every single person you see on planet Earth has a soul, and they are going to spend eternity somewhere. It's either a place called heaven or a place called hell, and the dividing line is what you do with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We need to be intentional. We need to stand. We need to be prepared. We know that this is wartime. Your neighbors need to hear the gospel from you verbally. Because this is wartime. So Paul says, stand, therefore. I'm going to come back to that at the end. Verse 16. 
stand there for, Paul says, having fastened on the belt of truth. Fastening the belt of truth, which is, it's really interesting. I mean, when you think about the armor of God, right? Don't you think it would be, I mean, when you think about armor, don't you think about the breastplate or the things that cover your legs or the shield or the sword, like battle? He starts with the belt, the thinnest piece of it all. But what you have to know, you have to know this about ancient armor is, is the belt is what holds, holds it all together. And Paul says we have to fasten the belt. Now, now, the word fasten really has the idea of being ready. To be, it's, a, it's a little bit of an action word. And for those of you who grew up like I did, old school church, right? You remember the King James Version here. This is the second time this morning this gets uncomfortable. The actual word is girding up your loins. I hope you've girded your loins this morning, okay? That's what I'm saying. And you have to understand the culture that in Bible times, most men... Of course, in women too, but men wore robes, okay? And so if you were going to do action, you were going to do something that required some agility, okay? You couldn't run with a robe around your legs. So you would, you would take, gather the robe up and you would tuck it in your belt so that you could do something athletic or something that required some agility. And, and the word for that was, was girding up your loins, and in fact, this is it's not the first time we see this kind of this fasten, this be ready for action. Uh, you actually see it in Exodus. And for those of you who know the story, right, of, of the people of Israel being redeemed out of slavery in Egypt, God, through Moses, uses Moses to speak to the people. And the final plague was the death angel, right? And so God says, I'm going to send this death angel through the camp. It's going to kill all the firstborns in the nation, including the children of Israel, including Including the Egyptians, unless you slaughter a lamb, you put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, and, and then he gives instructions on how to, how to eat the lamb and how to prepare a meal with the lamb. And he says, if, I, if the death angel comes at night and sees the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, does that family, that household will be spared. Of course, that's a perfect picture of the Lamb of God, right? Christ, the perfect foreshadows, foretells of our redemption through the blood of Christ, the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And in this instruction in Exodus chapter 12 that Moses gives to the people, he says, in this manner you shall eat it. So they're supposed to eat the, remain, the remainder of this lamb. And he says, with your belt fastened, literally it's with your loins girded. I know some of you are like, why do you keep saying that? It's in the Bible, okay? Take it up with the Bible, all right? Uh, Your loins girded, and your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And so Paul, is. these readers would, especially the Jewish readers, they would hearken back to this. They would go, man, we got to be ready to move with the things of the Lord, with our belt fastened, and we're ready to go. And so how do we fight spiritual warfare? It's being ready. And how are we ready? Paul says, with the belt of truth. The belt of truth. I'm going to park here, okay? We're going to get heavy. In ancient, in this culture, in the ancient Roman culture, the, the belt and the armor held everything together. All the other pieces of armor connected to the belt. If you didn't have the belt on, the rest of it was either loose-fitting at best, ineffective at best. You needed the belt to hold the rest of it together, to do battle, to be prepared. 
And so I find it super interesting that the Apostle Paul starts with the belt and he says the, what holds it all together is this idea of truth. Listen, the goal of everything we do at Coastal Community Church is truth. It's the goal. It's the goal. I'm going to tell you something I tell my own children. I said, your pursuit in life should be truth. So if Christianity is not true, you should pursue something else. How's that for a bold statement? It's, it's the belt. Listen, church, we're not committed to a dead religion. We're not committed to faith in faith. It's our, our faith, Christianity, rests in the cornerstone, in the belt of this thing called truth. And there can't be two truths. There's one truth, and it's immovable. And it's what you're building your life on. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says this very same thing. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is worthless. Go do something else. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the linchpin of Christianity because it's true. It's a historical fact that a dead guy came back to life. And we're committed to the truth, church. Number two, we're committed. This church is committed to the truth. Like a soldier that is focused on his job or he may lose his life. Timothy says in 2 Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Our goal is truth because it's wartime and we want to be focused on the truth. We're fighting a spiritual battle and at its core is what really is true. Now let me give you some core truths. Number one, the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible for us is the Word of God. The Bible makes its claim to be the Word of God. The Bible makes its claim to be true. And we believe that that Bible teaches that, that human nature is in sinful rebellion. This is not what our culture believes about humanity. We believe the Bible teaches that God has the authority to define for us sin, and that we need saving from sin, and that our God, because he is gracious and merciful, has sent a Savior to save us from his sin, our sin. And this Savior is Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, who was 100% God and 100% man. And he lived a perfect life, and he died a substitutionary death in our place where God poured out his hatred and wrath of sin on his one and only Son. And then he rose again from the dead, physically, bodily, eternally, authenticating his claims, and the only way to have eternal life is through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's why I said Jesus is the armor. And Jesus is the exclusive way to God. If you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, you cannot go into the community and when you're bantering at work, having some debate, and somebody says, you know, I think all paths lead to God, you can't nod your head in agreement with that as a Christian.
John 14, 6, this is what Jesus said about himself. He says, I am the way, I am the what? I'm the life. And there's many, many different paths to get to your creator. Is that what it says? Listen, this is why I got so spun up week one. And I was like, man, I, I get spun up because we... It, you can't call Jesus a, just, a, just a good moral teacher or just a prophet. He never said that about himself. Yes, he's a prophet. Yes, he, he's a moral compass. But man, he claims to be the only way to God. He claims to be the truth. You want to know the truth? You have to know Jesus. couple last weekend I had an opportunity to do a, a wedding for a member of our church who did the wedding at another church building in the community uh, more of an old traditional style Methodist church church building was beautiful wedding was beautiful um, there was a member of this church that that let us in you know was in charge of letting us in turning on the power sound and all that and, uh, this person had grown up in this church they were probably they were senior adults now and they'd grown up in this church and they'd given their their time and talent and their treasure to this church they lo- i could tell as soon as i walked in how much this person loved this church and this body of believers after i got done this um on the sermon, she the wedding, she came up to me. She goes, that was incredible. Can I ask you some questions? I said, sure, go. Let's go. Let's talk. And she's, she was heartbroken about, and this, this branch of the Methodist church is becoming what I preached against a couple weeks ago. It's a church that's calling righteous what God has called unrighteous. This person didn't know what to do. Do I stay and fight? Do I, like, what do I do? I said, listen, Coastal Man, the word of God's authoritative for us. It's, it's the truth. Like, as your pastor, I'm, I'm, and all our pastors here at Coastal, you know, we stand on the word of God as truth. We preach it that way. And I, I know all of us after a sermon get up, man, you're so bold. And I'm like, look, we're just submitting to the word of God. And James tells us we're not, we're going to incur stricter judgment. I actually asked this lady, I said, is your pastor teaching this? I spelled out some things, and, and she says, yes. And I said, your pastor is going to have to answer for that. Because that's the opposite of what the Scriptures say. And I took her to the Scriptures. And said, Here, you read it for yourself. This is what the Scriptures say. That terrifies me for that pastor. And as we're leaving, she's like, what should I do? I said, honestly, if it was me, I probably would leave, but I don't know. You've got to seek the Lord. I'm like, I couldn't give my time, talent, and treasure to a place that, that calls sin righteousness. Because the truth sets us free, and that pastor's leading those people into bondage. Not freedom. All in the name of Tolerance. Listen, we can, be to- we can be kind. I'm not talking about being unkind. We're to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4. But, man, we, we believe in the truth. We're transformed by the truth. That's why truth is important. It transforms us, right? 
Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By renewing your mind with what? The truth of God's word. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will do something for you. It'll set you free. We can't hold to a lie because a lie leads to bondage. At Coastal, we stand on the truth because truth is exclusive. Listen, truth is not the same as sincerity. You can be sincerely wrong. You can be wrong and, and be kind about it, but still be wrong. When I was in seminary, I had a professor that said truth cannot be both be and non-be at the same time. I still have no idea what that means, but man, it sounds fantastic, you know. Oh, you can't have two opposites, right? You can't say all religions lead to God and Jesus is the only way to God. They can't be be and non-be. We have to decide which is true. The Word of God is truth. and Christ is the truth. Truth is objective. Truth has to come from outside of us. Can't have two individuals deciding B and non-B, both being equally true. Truth is true for all peoples at all times. According to Webster Dictionary, it says, truth is being in accord with fact or reality. That's how I want my family to build their lives. That's how I want you to build your life. I want you to build it on what is fact or reality. And so Paul is very clear, the belt of truth, it all holds together because the word of God is true, the gospel is true, the armor is true. It's true because it's objective and it's from God and our God is not a God of lies and he's given us the word and the word is true and we submit ourselves to the truth even when it's uncomfortable because we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Yes, church? And some of y'all know that freedom. Some, many of you are, are here today and you go, man, I knew the bondage of the things of the world. And once I acknowledge God's word is true and I submitted to it, I repented of my sin, and I believed in the gospel, man, I know the freedom of building my life on the cornerstone of truth. Yes? We can't waver. And so the belt of truth, the armor's effective because it's true, because our God is true, because his word is true, because his son is truth. The next thing Paul says and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so the next piece of armor he talks about is the breastplate, which covers the vitals, right? The vital organs. And, and we're to, Paul says we're to put on this righteousness. So I don't think he's talking about the righteousness gifted to us by grace through faith. Of course, that's, the, that's how we stand and how we're able to put on righteousness. I'll talk about it in just a second. That's the doctrine of justification. I think what Paul's talking about is, is the doctrine of sanctification. That, that when you become a Christian, when you repent of your sin and you acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the, paid the penalty of your sin, rose again to eternal life, that you can have eternal life, we get a deposit of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit as a Christian now lives inside of us and frees us up to no longer be dead in sin, but to do battle with our sin and to walk in righteousness. And we get to be grow, to be more and more like Christ, to, to grow in holiness. 
Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 3. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The armor is Christ, right? Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. I forget what lies behind. That's the forgiveness of the gospel. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We walk in righteousness. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. John MacArthur said it this way. He said, imputed righteousness or justification makes practical righteousness possible, sanctification, but only obedience to the Lord makes practical righteousness a reality. We have to walk in righteousness. Church, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you walk in righteousness. And some of you have a a particular sin that is weighing on you and keeping you from being all that God has for you to be. Like it could be an addiction. You're, you're addicted to alcohol. You're addicted to drugs. It could be illegal drugs. It could be prescription medication. And this habitual sin is not allowing you to put on righteousness. The breastplate and walk in righteousness be developed authentically as a follower of Christ. You continue to fall into this habitual sin. I, I think one of the specific sins of our culture is sexual sin. You're not strapping on the righteousness of Christ because you're, you're married, but you're flirting with someone else. You're dating someone and you're You're sleeping around before marriage. You're not putting on the breastplate of righteousness. You're addicted to pornography. And so you have this habitual sin, right, that's, that's choking out all that the Lord has for you. And every time you, you're at church and you hear the need, man, there's a need in youth ministry. We need leaders. We need leaders around small group ministry. We need spiritual leaders to rise up and influence and help us as a church proclaim the name and fame of Christ. But, but because you're not putting on the breastplate of righteousness, man, you, you got the, the, the devil has a foothold, right? The world, you're certainly your flesh, and then the devil as whispers in you, you'll never do that because if they knew about fill in the blank. You can't walk in righteousness. You can't be used by God the way God could use us because you're not walking in righteousness. You need some people around you. This past week, and I love what I'm about to share with you, I love, love, love. I, um, pastor Andrew brought into our staff meeting to teach our staff about a very well-known pastor that there's some accusations about his sexual purity behind the scenes and we talked about the importance of being leaders in the church to our staff about holiness and righteousness and then afterwards behind closed doors pastor andrew grabs me and goes you're walking in holiness and righteousness right and i love that i said i am and i love that you ask me you should ask me right i have the breastplate of of righteousness on I can't tell you how many times I come across people who say, well, I'm really doubting, I'm struggling, I'm trying to decide if God's real. And the core of it is they're just sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend. And so that makes God seem not real. Why? Well, because you might have to answer for that as sin, right? 
man, we don't put on the breastplate of righteousness, we're robbed of our joy. God has so much more for you. Enjoy, right? If you want to know how to repent well, Psalm 51, King David wrote this after his affair with Bathsheba, and, and he was a murderer, killed her husband. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, uphold me with a willing spirit. We waste our spiritual lives when we don't put on the breastplate of righteousness. It means we're fruitless. We, we lack reward. I think 1 Corinthians 3, I know there's some people that would debate me, and that's fine, we can have a debate later, but I think this is talking about heavenly rewards, right? And, and Paul's saying, now, if, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. We'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work was built... Uh, that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I think he's saying, man, you know, we, we can pretend to be doing spiritual things, but it's really just wood and straw. One day God's going to meet that out. When we forfeit spiritual rewards, we're not bringing glory to God when we don't put on the breastplate of righteousness. One of my favorite verses, I've actually preached on this, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. It means you can, all things can be done for worship and the glory of God, but not if we're not putting on the breastplate of righteousness, when we're forfeiting the opportunity to bring glory to God in all things. And many of us in this room, man, we're, we're living defeated, unproductive spiritually fruitless lives. Why? Because you're not putting on the breastplate of righteousness and walking in righteousness. As a Christian, you have the Spirit of God in you, and you're, you're still choosing to habitually indulge your flesh and your sin. And if that's you, man, you need to grow in disciplines. You need to get into a small group. You may, on a particular sin, you might need an accountability partner. Guys with guys, girls with girls. Find somebody you trust. Say, man, I'm struggling every single day with this particular sin. And I want you to hold me accountable to make sure I put on the breastplate of righteousness. And man, when I'm struggling with temptation, I want to be able to call you even in the middle of the night if I need to. And there are brothers and there are sisters that will walk with you so that you can each day get up and say, man, I've strapped on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm walking in righteousness and holiness, and Lord, I want to be used by you for greater things than just indulging my flesh and my sin. And have those people in your life. And so Paul says, man, we, we have the belt of truth. That's, the, that's what holds it all together, that we, we're journeying in truth. The second thing is, man, we put on the armor of God by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And the final thing I want to cover here this morning and is the shoes of the gospel of peace. Paul says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so our shoes are the gospel of peace. Now, shoes are important, right? My kids, growing up, played a myriad of sports, okay? And we had a shoe for every sport, okay? Um, we had basketball shoes and baseball shoes and lacrosse shoes and golf shoes and cross-training shoes and soccer shoes and church shoes. Some of y'all have a pair of shoes for every pair of jeans you own, right? I mean, like this pair needs this pair of shoes and on and on the list goes. And I used to think it was just a girl thing and that's very sexist. I realize guys are the same way. Like, man, guys may even be worse, right? And uh, Yesterday we... Um, some, some of the members of our small group, we did the uh, CareNet Walk for Life, and it was a 5K. And um, we get there, and I see Pastor Joey, and I go up to Pastor Joey, and, and I said, are you, uh, 
you work just kind of working today, like working a booth or something? Like, no, I'm doing the race, doing the walk. And I, I look down and I'm like, you have leather boots on. Like, uh, is that the most athletic shoe you own? Yes, that's the most athletic shoe he owns. And um, he had skinny jeans on, a flannel shirt, and a satchel. I'm not kidding you. If I'm lying, I'm dying, all right? Came to We Are Coastal last night. He's like, dude, I got blisters. <laughs> Duh, you need a tennis shoe. Um, that's what everyone else here has athletic gear on, you know? And... Uh, we're going to take up a special collection after the service for Pastor Joey to own a pair of $20 tennis shoes. But um, <clears throat> I couldn't wait to tell that story, man. I'm so happy. <laughs> so happy. Um, you know what's fascinating about the Romans? Uh, centurions, Roman soldiers, they actually were on the cutting edge of shoes, believe it or not. I mean, we think of it as a natural thing to have cleats and stuff like that and different things for different athletes, but uh, they actually had developed a shoe or a sandal that had spikes in it, and that was revolutionary, right? Because if you're in hand-to-hand combat, you know, having good footing is essential. Are you going to be slipping and sliding around or you'll run a 5K and get blisters? And uh, that can hinder you in the future, too. And so... um, and so the Romans were on the cutting edge, and so the, I think the Apostle Paul knew this, and so what's he likening the shoes to? The gospel of peace. Now, there's two ways we can take this idea, and I, I don't think it's an either-or. Different commentators would say it's an either-or. I would say it's a both-and, and, and the first one is, is, is we stand firm in the gospel. The gospel is our firm footing, and why is that? Because it's the gospel of peace, and what do we have peace with? Well, we have, we have, we have peace with Christ, We have peace with God and His holiness and His wrath because we've now made peace because of Christ, right? When the angels announced the birth of Jesus, what did they say? Peace on what? Earth and goodwill towards men. What's the goodwill, man? We we can have peace with God. I spent a lot of time week one on, man, we're under the wrath of God. Sinners, we're in rebellion against God. But the gospel brings peace. Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, what's the question? Who can be against? Why can no one be against us? Because we're in Christ. We have peace with God. Verse 37 of Romans 8, Paul goes on to say, no, in all these things... We are more than conquerors. Or there's actually super conquerors through him who loves us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present, nor things to come, nor powers, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because we have peace with God in Christ. And so because we have peace with God, we don't fear anything. We don't fear what man can do to us. We don't fear death. We don't even fear our past sins. Like there's some of you in this room, like you're, you're letting some sin, something that you did that you now recognize as sinful 10, 20, 30 years ago. I see this a lot with, with men and women, who, and I know it's a woman thing, but even men encourage them, they go through an abortion, right? And they think, man, I could never be used by God. And it's because you haven't let the gospel penetrate your heart. That 
sin is forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Praise God, right? And so now you stand firm because your feet are you're, you're firm in the peace that you have with God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that great news? So we don't journey with shame any longer. And we have, we have peace with God. This is a fa- I could do a, a million applications. Let me do another one, just to be clear. When you have peace with God, you're a child of God. And so as a, as a young lady, let me talk to the young people, a young lady, maybe an old person too, it's, it could be both, and you're, you're single, and you're thinking about dating, and you're settling for a bunch of junk because guys are treating you like junk, and because they don't know that you're a princess of the Most High, and they better treat you as such. If you're dating someone who's not treating you as a princess of the Most High, you need to break up with them like yesterday. And some of you may go out in the parking lot and have that talk today. And the same thing with dudes. You're a prince, man. So don't settle for some girl or some guy that wants to push you into unrighteousness or unholiness. Because you're a child of God. There may be somebody in this room that's going to rise up out of this church and, and become a missionary to maybe some of the most hostile areas on the planet to, to Christianity. Parents, what would you do if your kid comes home at 16, 17, 18 and says, I think God's calling me to be a missionary to Iran. You should go, man. You have the gospel of peace. Do you fear death? No. Why do we not fear death? Because to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. We, sh- we should be seeing some missionaries rise up out of this church, and this church supports them. Because we have peace with God. Isn't that great news? The gospel with the peace. Second thing about the peace, the gospel and, and it being the feet, Okay that I think it shows us that we should be ready to share the gospel with others. How beautiful Isaiah 52 says in, in, the proclama- in, in the prophecy about the coming Messiah, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. As Christians, our feet Take us to others to present the good news of the gospel. The Great Commission starts with what? What? Some of you are like, I don't know. Go, right? There's movement involved. And our feet take us to movement with the gospel. And I want to challenge this. By the way, my fall series that God is just stirring in my heart, then he's stirring it because it's an area that I need to improve in. And I want to see us improve in that we have to be a people that share the gospel. I think a lot of times as Christians, we, we finish the phone conversation with, hey, have a blessed day. That's not sharing the gospel. I'm not saying you shouldn't say that. I'm not saying you shouldn't be polite. But we need to do more than that. We need to be sharing the actual gospel that you're at war with God and you're a sinner and people, you need, you know, your neighbor needs Christ, your kids need Christ. Parents, you need to on a regular basis as you're bringing up your kids, make sure you're sharing the gospel and making sure your kids respond to the gospel. I ask my kids multiple times a year. I just 
family devotions. We go through the gospel, and I look at each one in the eyeball, and I say, man, have you responded to this call? Have you responded to the gospel? At least if they said, no, I know where we are. I have a starting place. We need to be sharing the gospel. Parents, when was the last time you just shared the gospel just with your kids? Make sure they understand it and have responded to it. At least you give them an opportunity to respond to it. And we need to be people that bring the gospel to others. And we can do that because we have the firm footing of the peace of the gospel. We have peace with God. So, Romans 8, what can man do to me? What can man do to me, church? You know the reason we don't talk about the gospel? We are more fearful of being called narrow-minded and, you know, Jesus freakish. And I'm, listen, we share the truth with love, and we are to be loving, and we are to be self-sacrificing around the gospel. Okay? So hear me on that. But we are to be sharing the gospel. I want to finish with this. We'll close with prayer. Years ago, there was a Mercedes-Benz commercial uh, that, that showed this car, this Mercedes-Benz, colliding with a wall. And all the passengers, which of course were, were uh, crash test dummies, were shown to be safe. And then um, somebody interviews the spokesman for the company. And the interviewer asks the spokesman for Mercedes-Benz, why don't you enforce the patent on the Mercedes-Benz energy-absorbing car body that you guys have developed, this, this amazing life-saving innovation that just allowed these crash test dummies to remain safe in the crash. Why, why don't you enforce the patent? Why have you given that technology away to other car companies? And the spokesman replied, because some things in life are too important not to share. So if keeping people safe in a car is important, how much more is eternal life? Share the gospel. Share it with your extended family. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with your coworkers. Share it with your classmates. Share it with your roommates. Feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel. Stand, therefore, Paul says, having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, for the one that, in this room that, Their spiritual influence hasn't grown because they, they keep beating themselves up with a sin that they did so many years ago, God. May the gospel penetrate. May they be reminded that, that Christ's death was sufficient to pay for that sin. And it is forgiven and it is gone as far as the east is from the west. And may they know the freedom of having peace with God. For the one in the room that is struggling with a habitual sin that is keeping them from putting on the breastplate of righteousness, God, may they leave here today and be serious. Not just leave here with guilt and shame, but leave here going, you know what, I, I need to strap on righteousness this week. 
May they find a small group or a brother or sister in Christ that can hold them accountable. Father, may we all as believers be people that not only celebrate our joy of our salvation when we gather here corporately, God, but it's overflowing into our community that we want everyone to know the truth that they may be set free that we may be quick to share the gospel that we would be praying for and looking for opportunities to turn the conversation spiritual to things that make eternal differences for the one in this room that doesn't yet know Christ God I pray that right now would say, you know what, I turn from my sin and I believe in Jesus. If that's you this morning, that's your prayer. Father, forgive me my sin. I believe in your salvation plan. And today you're saved. It's in Jesus' name I pray.